Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Joy, joy, joy. All right, uh, today we begin a new series that we're going to look at over the next couple of months. We'll take a break for Father's Day, um, but this new series is, uh, we've called it Acceptable Sin. Uh, any, any guesses on uh, what sins are acceptable? No. None. Like it's, sorry, it's probably like a trick question. Everyone's like, I'm sure it's none. I'm pretty sure the Bible says none, but the fact that he's asking, should there be another answer? No, uh, there is no acceptable sin. But there are sins that we deem to be more acceptable than others. We can get on our soapbox, we can get fired up about homosexuality and same-sex marriage, and we've talked through those before in this community. We can get fired up about domestic violence and divorce and all these aspects that or almost we can be removed from, if I can put it that way. Yet there's a lot of sins that we let go underneath the radar. There's a lot of different things that we kind of just write off as, oh, well, that's just the way that person is, or that's just what I'm like, or, oh, that doesn't really matter, that doesn't really hurt anybody. Um, and so we kind of negate them a little bit rather than actually dealing with the root of these issues and going, you know what, this isn't actually a part of God's will for, for us as a community, for me as an individual, for me to live a life completely sold out for God. And so we're going to look at a few of these acceptable sins over the next few weeks. And today we begin with laziness. This will be fun, won't it? Is anyone, like I've already had someone say this morning, I'm really interested to see how you handle this, Jared. I'm like, so am I. Um, but, I, and I would say over the whole series, not just for today, but over the whole series, the point of it isn't that I am, I am not perfect and I'm not going to stand up here um, and preach like condemnation and judgment over, you know, if you, you know, say, well, that's really an issue in my life. I really struggle with that or um, in, in any aspect or what I don't want to happen is that we sit there and, you know, wives nudge their husbands or husbands nudge their wives or the parents go home and re-preach the sermon to their kids and like, I don't, I don't want that to happen. I want us to actually come before Holy Spirit and say, is this an issue in my life? Is this something that I'm struggling with? Or actually the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the counsellor is the one who makes a way for us to be restored from our sinful ways. And if you're a follower of Jesus then um, you're no longer a sinner. We've talked about this before, that you are actually reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Does that mean that we don't sin? Well, no, it doesn't mean that. It means that sin is no longer in our nature. And we're aware of sin when we commit a sin, when we step into our sinful ways. Rather than those that are still of the world who don't follow Jesus, who don't follow the same rule book that we do, so to speak. They're not aware of their sin because they haven't been redeemed by the Saviour. They're not aware of their redemption through Jesus Christ. So as followers of Jesus, we have a bar that's been set for the life that we're meant to live and there's some things that we kind of accept as a natural part of 
life, when actual fact, if we spend some time with Jesus, if we get connected to Holy Spirit, we go, actually, you know what, that's not actually part of God's will for my life. And so we're going to look at a few of these things over the next few weeks, beginning with laziness. Laziness is defined as being averse or disinclined to work, activity or exertion. Being adver- averse or disinclined to work, activity or e- exertion. Now I want to say straight up, there's a difference between laziness and rest. Right? Rest is good, rest is godly. It's the enemy that wants you to work, 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 never stop, keep going you know, until you drop. So rest is actually, God rested. Rest is a, a natural part of what, how we're meant to live our lives and how God has made us to live and breathe and have our being. Yeah? So there's nothing wrong with rest. rest. But when rest is kind of the majority of your life, when rest becomes all you do, then we've got a problem. Then we step into laziness. The other thing I want to say, overarching the whole series, not just laziness, overarching the whole series, is labels are not helpful. And I think one of the things that we can do sometimes is we can say, oh, you're, you're lazy or you're greedy or you're gluttonous or whatever it might be, whatever sin you, you might want to put on somebody or accuse somebody of committing. When we, when we accuse somebody of being lazy, when we accuse somebody of being something, we actually make it about the whole person. And I'll, I'll try and make sense in a minute. And what that actually does is, if I make laziness who you are, rather than something you do, then it allows me to actually remove myself from relationship with you. Does that make sense? So because I think you're not living a godly life, because, because laziness is who you are rather than what you do or what you don't do, it actually disconnects us and gives me an excuse or a reason to disconnect from our relationship. And it can be easy to label people with a sin and say, oh, this is what you are rather than this is what you do. And I think as, as Christians, anybody... We need to be careful that we don't label people and say, this is who you are, rather than this is what you do. Because when we say, this is what you are, I can disconnect from you, I don't need to have anything to do with you. Whereas when I say, this is what you do, or this is what you don't do, we're actually invited deeper into the relationship and the conversation to bring about healing and reconciliation once again. We talked a few, uh, a few months ago, and now I think it is about Jesus' framework of actually pointing out sin in another person's life from Matthew 18. And he says, if a brother or sister sins, then go and have a one-on-one conversation with them. And if that doesn't work, then get a couple of witnesses and go and have the conversation together. If that doesn't work, then let the whole church, take them before the whole church and let the whole church know. And if that doesn't work, treat them as a pagan or a tax collector, which is, treat them with love but don't give them any place of influence in your life but maintain the relationship and so we have an example from Jesus when somebody sins we don't disconnect from them which is really easy to do 
because it's like, oh, it's too hard to deal with the sin in your life, so I'll disconnect myself and just leave you to whatever you're going to do. Or we make excuses for them. Oh, that's just the way they are, or they've always been like that. Oh, I hate that. (laughs) It's really easy to make excuses rather than to actually examine ourselves and go, what do I need to change in my heart, my spirit, the way that I live my life, how I treat other people? Whereas in Christian community, we're actually invited to do this together. And if you think that I stand up here and preach and I have it all together and have all the answers, let me tell you, I don't. Since I preached that message on Matthew 18 and if your brother sins, go and correct them, I've had two people come to me, separate occasions, and say, you know that message that you preached about if your brother sins, go and have a conversation with them? I was like, yeah, I want to have a conversation with you. Uh Uh-huh. Because I'd wronged them. Because I'd been in the wrong. So I, I say that not to, to highlight that I am still learning and learning with you. We learn this together and we go together. So for me to stand up here, I don't have all the answers. I'm in this as much as you, but my desire is relationship and connection. And through both of those conversations, my relationship, my connection with those people was deepened. So when we label somebody, say, oh, you're just lazy, and we write them off and we disconnect from them, and we break the, relation, we break the relationship. Whereas if I draw near to that person and say, hey, I've noticed that you know, in different ways at different times, you can be a bit lazy. What's going on there? I'm actually inviting them into connection and relationship with me. And they're seeing that I'm a safe place, a safe person to have that conversation, that engagement with. Do you see that? And so we actually invited, Jesus invites us to actually maintain our, our connection and our relationship and our engagement with each other even when things don't go right, even when people sin. We don't actually have to write them off and say, I can't have anything to do with you. We can actually have the conversation and work on the relationship together. Um, and as an aside, love after marriage is great at giving couples the tools to be able to do that in a healthy way. So if you feel like, a hu- as a husband and wife, you're like, I don't actually know how to disagree in a healthy way. I don't know how to resolve stuff in a healthy way. Um, then it, love after marriage would be incredibly beneficial and that's where we've learned a lot of some of how we process stuff between ourselves and we've grown a lot, Narelle and I have grown a lot healthier in how we resolve things between us and point things out and disagree with each other um, since doing Love After Marriage and now we look to live that out and help other people do, do likewise. The purpose in highlighting sin isn't to reduce the person to whatever sin they're committing or have committed, but it's to help people see their error and restore right relationship. Here's uh, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 16 and following. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting men's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God 
was making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I, I love that passage, and I've probably used it a few times before, but I just believe it's like one of the foundational aspects of being a follower of Jesus, that we are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, the one who knew no sin became sin so that we could be without sin. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that just like the, the best, that's the best news ever, I think, that you and I, we have sinned, we have fallen short of the glory of God, yet Jesus Christ in his perfect sinless ways chooses to go to the cross to, the cross, to be the ultimate sacrifice to reconcile you and me and the entire world, anybody who accepts his free gift of salvation, to be reconciled to our perfect loving Father. That deserves slightly more excitement than you're giving it right now, but that's okay. Thank you. Not for me, but for God. Like I just marvel at God who does everything that we need in order to be in right relationship with him. It's astounding. Astounding. And then he says, do you know what? Now that Jesus has reconciled you to me, you get to be my ambassadors to the world. So the work that Jesus did to actually restore every single one of us to relationship with the Father, you and I get to participate in that ministry. That's a lot of responsibility and a lot of privilege and power. And we, we are given this responsibility from God. So, and, and I love the part that it says, we no longer regard, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. So when I have conversations with you, when, when I have conversations with people out in the wider community, I'm not just looking at them through my own limited perspective. My ongoing question, my ongoing conversation with the Lord is, God, how do you see this person? Because if I walk along the street and I find someone who is homeless or sleeping on the street or is begging for money, I can reduce them to being a homeless beggar and disconnect from myself from them or throw some money in their hat or whatever and everyone's got a different opinion about whether that's right or wrong. Give some money to them, go and buy them a meal, do whatever and take care of their instant needs or I can actually tune into what Holy Spirit's saying and doing and say, God, how do you see this person? Who is this person that you've made to be? I had a conversation with a guy on Rundle Street in Adelaide one night well, last year um, and his name was David, and I just had this, like when he said, I asked him what his name was, and he said David, and I just had this sense, like the first word I heard straight away was royalty, like King David in the Bible. And you look at him and go, he's not royalty, and I'm like, well, no, not by the world's perspective, but what, how does God see this guy? And God sees him as royalty. He might not be living in that way at the moment, but my job isn't to say, bad luck, mate, you've really missed out because you're living on the streets. My job as an ambassador for Jesus Christ is to actually be a part of the conversation to restore him to the one who sees him as royalty. Does that make sense? So, and like it doesn't happen in a conversation. But I hope that the words that I spoke, the way that I encouraged him, what, what took place on that night, hopefully sowed a seed that could have been part of something much larger in David's life. 
And we get to do that. And it's really not that hard. And it starts with saying, hey, what's your name? And getting to know people from how God sees them rather than just how the world sees them. Um, all right, let me talk about laziness because, you know, that's fun. Um, there's a story in Second Samuel where, Second um, Samuel 11, I'll quote it directly because the verse needs to be said. Second Samuel 11, verse 1. In the spring, at the time, and here's King David again, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. So here's David, the king. In a time of the year, so winter is over, and it's not yet harvest time. So the men, the kings and the armies are like, what will we do with our spare time? Let's have a fight. I'm not endorsing or condoning that attitude at all. In a season when kings go off to war, King David stays in the palace. Now, for those that know the story, you already know where this goes and you're like, alarm bells are going off and you're like, no, David, go and fight and don't stay home. But David does stay home and he's up on the palace Um, One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. She'd purified herself from her uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am, preg- I am pregnant. Now, if you could take an, e- uh, an example of laziness and kind of blow it out all proportions, this one is it. Like, it's one thing to say, my kid's lazy, they don't wash the dishes. It's another thing to say, my king's lazy, he stayed home from a war and had an affair with a woman. But I think this is such a powerful story. And if you, if you go home and read the, next, you read the next six, seven chapters in 2 Samuel, read the whole story of 2 Samuel, and you see the rise and fall of King David, and it almost seems to pivot on this one decision when he doesn't go out to war. And you might think, well, is he really being lazy? Yeah, it's lazy. It's an intentional choice to not be where you need to be or to not do what you need to do. And so here he is languishing at home. All his men, his mighty men and the entire army are all off fighting a war and here's the king at home. Do you know, if, if God calls you to the, to the battle, then the palace is not a safe place to be. You might think the palace is the best place to be, beautiful, luxurious, that's where I want to be no matter what's going on. No, if God's called you to be fighting the battle somewhere else, then fighting the battle somewhere else is the best place for you and I to be, not to be home alone. So here's David, home alone, choosing to not do what he was meant to do, to not lead as he was meant and called to lead as the king of the nation. And he sees this beautiful woman 
and he, said, and he goes and, and fetches her and, and she comes and he sleeps with her and some commentators say that he raped her and we go by what the text says and aren't really sure how it unfolded. But he, she was the wife of Uriah. Who was Uriah? One of David's mighty men. He had this team of 30 men that were stronger, better, faster, fitter, mightier than anybody else in the land. And yet David, just through one, through one error after another, ends up sleeping with this mighty man's wife. And so he calls Uriah home from the war front and tries to get Uriah to sleep with his wife. And Uriah, in his wisdom... Uriah says to David the next day, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents and my master Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open fields. How could I go to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. It's like, oh, wow. Can you imagine being David at that time? It's just like, sorry. Would have just sunk more and more into his pain and his pity. All because he made the decision to not be where he needed to be and not do what he should have been doing. And okay, so we're not kings and we're not going off to war or sending armies off to war, but sometimes I wonder what area of life are we actually not fully engaging in where God has called us to something greater than what we're participating, how we're stepping into it as it is. And it might not, we might not be lazy in the entirety of our life, but what area of our life are we lazy in? Maybe it's in our marriage. Maybe we don't actually, we're not the husband or the wife. Maybe we're not the parent that we know we should be just because we choose not to. Maybe it's in our workplace that we just do it half-hearted. Or maybe it's actually in our relationship with God. They were like, oh, it's, it's too hard, it's too much, I can't be bothered, I'd rather Netflix or Facebook rather than spend some time with God. And hear me again, like this, there's no judgment, there's no condemnation. What I want for this whole series, if for every single one of us, and I'll be doing it as well, is to actually examine our lives, examine my life and go, do you know what, where am I actually falling short in God's will for my life? What area of my life am I actually lazy in? Maybe I'm lazy in my finances. Maybe it's in some particular relationship in my life where I'm not giving it my all. Or maybe it is in just spending time with the Lord. I find it kind of funny. I feel like spending time with God should actually be one of the easiest things we get to do. Yet it's the thing that we find we can find it easiest to put off and leave for, an, for later on or it doesn't really matter. Yet he's the one that continually invites us into relationship with him. The flow-on effect from David's laziness passes down to the next generation when one of his sons, um, through some really terrible advice, sleeps with some of David's wives and concubines. And it was actually um, a prophecy from the Lord after David had committed, um, slept with Bathsheba and Bathsheba conceived a son and God says, well, this is what's going to happen and this is what does happen, is that one of David's sons um, sleeps with his wives out on a rooftop of a building. 
It's really full on. And it's all, it, all, it doesn't all stem from this, but it all starts here with David not being where he was meant to be and David not doing what he was meant to be doing. I wonder sometimes how much of the world misses out on what God wants to do or what God wants to say to the world because we don't actually choose to engage in what God wants us to do. When we actually choose not to join God in his mission here in Horsham in the world around us. And somewhere along the line, I don't know if it's because of the way that we've preached this kind of stuff before or how we've led church or how we've been church or what we've taught or what we haven't taught, but somewhere along the line we've made it seem like it's really difficult to actually be God's people in the world around us. And I think the opposite should be true. Like, it should, like We're on the winning side. Jesus is triumphant and victorious over sin and death. We're no longer sinners. We've been made saints. We serve the God of all creation. We hear his voice. Somewhere along the way, we've missed out on actually sharing that with the world around us. So there's a a flow-on effect of our sins, of our laziness. When we don't do something, somebody else has got to do it. Like, there might be something as simple as, like, replacing the toilet paper. Isn't that annoying? When people don't replace the toilet paper, it's not that hard. Just, sorry, a little pet peeve. Hey? Lid on the milk. That's an issue in your houses. Wow, okay. Um, Not putting dishes away. Like, it's really obvious where the sink is. It's not that hard, is it? Put them on the sink, put them in the dishwasher. Maybe it is something simple like that. Maybe it's like little areas of your life like that. It's like, ah, yeah, I don't, I don't, Pick up my socks. That struck a chord with somebody. <laughs> it's going to be some interesting conversations at lunchtime today. Um, maybe it's, it could be whatever. And uh, my encouragement is for every single one of us to go, God, where am I lazy? Where am I actually not stepping into the fullness of who you've called me to be, who you've made me to be? And for him, in his gentleness and his kindness and his comfort to go, do you know what, there's this area of your life that you could actually step into more if you just chose to commit and go through with it. We have an expression in our house um, about getting the ironing board out. That might not make much sense. The worst part of doing the ironing is getting the ironing board out. Mm, Yeah, yeah, I feel you. I iron, don't I? Sometimes. (laughs) Oh, but I can be so lazy, so lazy. I remember, I I don't know why it stuck in my head. When I was in year nine, I still remember this pivotal moment. It's good that the kids have gone out to Cogs. This pivotal moment when it occurred to me I didn't have to do my homework. Now, for you academic, studious types, you might be like, what do you mean you didn't have to do your homework? The teacher sets homework. I have a choice. I can do the homework and get the grades and all that. 
or I can not do the homework. I can feel in the room, some of you are like, you're crazy, do the homework. No, but it's actually a choice. I always find it interesting when people say, oh, you don't have a choice. No, you've always got a choice. You might not like A and B. You've always got a choice. And in that moment, I was like, I don't have to do my homework. It was the worst realisation I ever had. Because from then on, I was like, I could do this homework. Or I could not do it. And sometimes I didn't do it. And I was just being lazy. Like probably, like I look at my kids' homework these days and I'm like, what are you complaining about? Like it's a walk in the park. I don't say it like that. I'm way more understanding. My children choose to do their homework. Bless them. Don't you choose not to do your homework. I've got one child left in here, so. But it's a choice. But sometimes our choices and our choice to be lazy are rooted in deeper things than that. Maybe it's because of the way that we've been brought up. Maybe it's because of our understanding about what's required of us. Maybe it's because of criticism that we've received or rebuke that we've received. Maybe it's because relationships have been fractured when we have chosen not to do something rather than relationships being maintained even when we don't make healthy choices. And yet what God invites us to... I'm sorry, Sophie... What God invites us to is to actually maintain the relationship and the connection even when we don't make the healthy choices. Even when we are lazy. See, for King David, Nathan, the Lord sends Nathan, the prophet of the house, to David. And David said, and there's this whole story that Nathan reveals to David, the sin that he's committed. And David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replies, the Lord has taken away your sin. Just like that. Astounding. From David's confession. You're not going to die, but because by doing this you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. See, there's consequences for their sins. Whether we believe they're acceptable or not, there's consequences for our choices. Some of them are good, some of them are bad. But you and I get to make these choices every day. And I would say the opposite of laziness isn't busyness. The opposite of laziness is diligence. And actually being who we're made to be and committing to what we say we will do and doing it. I want to read to you uh, 2 Thessalonians. I'll finish here. 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3. Are you okay? A few of us, good. Verse 11. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. I love that. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Your choices, your sin, will lead to even more sin. My choices, our choices. Such people, verse 12, such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. If anyone doesn't obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him or her. 
do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Ouch. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as a brother or a sister. That's what I want us to be encouraged by and to remember in our day-to-day lives as followers of Jesus. Don't regard them as an enemy, but warn them as a brother. And I would also say this, it's, it can be easy in the world that we live in today to say, or to accuse people of sin and to point, highlight the sin and point out the sin in people's lives. If they don't know Jesus, they don't know the sins that they're committing. And for us to rock up and say, oh, you're committing this sin, you're committing that sin, you're, you're being lazy, you're being greedy, you're being gluttonous, whatever it might be, whatever the sin might be, for us to highlight the sin and not introduce them to the saver, to the saviour, does not help them at all. It only speaks judgment and condemnation, with no sense of actually introducing them to the Holy Spirit, the one who does the convicting and the comforting. So if I meet somebody, if I'm, if I'm having a conversation with, with one of you, or if I meet somebody in the street, and they're not living the life that they should live in God's eyes, my port of call, my starting point, isn't to actually highlight the sin in their life. It's to introduce them to the one who saves them from sin. That's what we get to do. Or we can choose not to. All our choices have consequences. Let us be a people, a community of individuals that are known for our diligence and our integrity. Who make the choice to do the hard yards when it's required. Let us be a people that know where we need to be and when we need to be there. And if we're meant to be on the battlefront, let us be on the battlefront. And if we need to be in the palace, whatever the palace might look like for you, let us be in the palace. Let us be people that are doing what God wants us to do and being who God wants us to be. Amen? Amen. All right, let's stand together. You made it through the first acceptable sin. There aren't any? That's correct. All right, can you close your eyes, bow your heads? Pray this with me. Holy Spirit, pray it like you mean it. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are the comforter. Thank you for your presence in my life. Reveal to me anything in my life that is not from you, that does not glorify you, Reveal to me what I need to do to become even more like you. Amen.